Now that I'm on the publisher side of it and saying no to certain manuscripts, it a lot of the times has nothing to do with people's talent. It's what's right for us. And every place has their specific wants and needs. But so many authors said they had had books rejected or Mitch Album came on and was like, I was rejected 50 times or something. And they just didn't give up. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, ladies. Hey, Heidi. Jamie here. Well, today's guest, Zibby Owens, is an author, renowned podcaster, publisher, CEO, and mother of four. Zibby founded Zibby Owens Media, a privately held media company designed to help busy people live their best lives by connecting to books and each other. One division is Moms Don't Have Time To, the home for Zibby's podcasts, publications, including two anthologies and communities. The other is Zibby Books, a publishing home for fiction and memoir, which she co-founded. Her award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, has been downloaded millions of times. She's a regular columnist for Good Morning America, Katie Couric Media, and Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. Her upcoming memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, Lost in Literature comes out July 1st, and her first children's book, Princess Charming, debuted this past April with a second one already in the works. So Megan here, I can't wait for you all to meet my friend and fellow author, Zibby Owens. Listen to this show if you know you have a book in you and want the scoop on how to become a published author, and you're hitting the beach this summer and need some red-hot reading recommendations. Whoop, whoop. Zibby, welcome to Off the Gram. We are so excited to have you today. I feel like we met on a blind date. My publicist from Penguin Random House booked me on your podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, to talk about your fully charged life. And we totally clicked. Then we both got COVID right around our launches, and I really felt like we were kindred authored spirits. Yes. There is just so much to cover today. You have a ton of exciting things going on. Your first children's book came out in April and your memoir bookends doesn't come out until July 1st, but there's a super sneak peek of part of this Amazon First Reads program and you've already shot to number one. So congrats. Woohoo! Yeah, thank you. It's going <laughs> So first things first, who the heck is Zibby Owens? Can you share your How I Got Here backstory? Oh my gosh. Who is Zibby Owens? Well, I'll tell you, I only became Zibby Owens five years ago when I got remarried to my husband, Kyle. And honestly, that relationship has paralleled this whole shift in basically everything I'm doing because my podcast launched shortly after our wedding and in 2018. And the podcast, Moms No Time to Read Books, has led to all sorts of other things, as you read about in my bio. I am really just at heart a reader. I'm a book lover. I love stories. I love connecting to people. I love great conversations and I love to write. And those are things that are sort of core to the fabric of who I am and have ebbed and flowed in, in different strengths over time, but now are kind of off the charts. And hopefully you're kind of smart though, because like <laughs> you graduated from Yale, you went to Harvard Business School. What did you study at Yale? Psychology. Psychology. Ah, maybe that's why you're such a good interviewer. I thought I was going to be a psychologist. I still think that would be that would be cool, but I don't know. I kind of am. <laughs> and so then your first published essay was a personal essay in Seventeen Magazine in 1992. So we also have these parallel, I, I would think I was at YM Magazine in 1992. What was that essay about and how did that sort of springboard your writing career? 
Yes. And thanks for being so prepared. But (laughs) the essay wasn't intended to be a public essay. I got home one afternoon after I passed some guy on the street who had called me big girl. I had just gained about 20 pounds after my parents got divorced. This is when I was 14. And over the course of that year, I felt like people had started treating me differently and I had gotten some comments and I was really wrestling with my own body image, which I had been doing honestly since age eight when you know, not to point fingers or anything, but my mom had me like counting calories at nine and measuring my orange juice. And I know that was like a thing back then for a particular group of women. But anyway, I wrote a whole essay about how I felt and how I didn't want my body to sort of define who I was. And I was the same person inside as I always was. And why should it make people feel differently about me? Anyway, I wrote it. My mother found what I wrote and told me, well, after I got over how angry I was, she said I should send it into a magazine because other girls could relate to it. And in a million years, that would never have occurred to me. And I did not feel necessarily super comfortable doing that. But I thought, well, there's no way they'll take it. And then they took it and they ran it. And then they got so much mail. So then I got to see a lot of the mail and then they reprinted a bunch of the letters. And I was like, wow, this really did help people. And it was so easy for me to do. Like, this is the type of writing I do all the time anyway. I might as well share it. So I've basically been doing that since then. And you've obviously turned it into quite a career. And sharing stories is really just how we all relate and grow. And so that really kind of leans into what your podcast is all about. So you launched your award-winning podcast in 2018, right? I, I understand you interviewed more than 900 authors, people like Alicia Keys and Lena Dunham and politicians like Hillary Clinton and First Lady Jill Biden. And Megan Murphy. And And Megan Murphy. Murphy. Oh, yes. True story. All sorts of incredible authors. So being part of a show here that takes a lot of our time, I can't even imagine how you prepare having to read so many books. Are you just constantly reading? I read a lot. There are books everywhere. I'm, I always have two or three different books in different forms, like an audiobook and two books in my purse. And I'm always like grabbing and trying to find the one I'm supposed to be doing. And then like weekly going through my piles of books. At the beginning, I was only doing one a week and I could read every book, every page. And I remember at some point talking to someone who said, you know, to really grow your show, you should do it twice a week. And I was like, twice a week? I could never keep up with that. No way. And now I've been doing seven days a week for two plus years. So I've done actually over 1200 episodes now. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. I did like 450 last year because I also launched other podcasts as well. It does all sound a little bit nuts. I have to, I have to agree. (laughs) That's a lot. That's insane. I can't read all the books now in their entirety, but I do read parts of all the books, whether it's the beginning or uh, sometimes I read them all if I can, or I listen to them, but I, I sort of study every book. I figure out the structure, what happens, what they did and what I like, what's interesting about it. And then I research the author. I mean, I only have 30 minutes. So the people that I pick to have on the podcast, either something about the book is super interesting to me or something about the author is super interesting to me. So that's sort of how I do it. So other than Megan Murphy, who's possibly the most interesting human on the planet with the most interesting book, we all love Love your Philly Charged Life. Please go buy it on Amazon or anywhere books are sold right now. (laughs) Do you have any favorite interviews? Like, I'm just curious also if there's anything that all of these successful people kind of have in common that you learn from, like, what have you really gleaned from this podcast? So much there. Oh my gosh, I've learned so much. One thing is how much rejection is out there. I want to like rebrand rejection in this context because- it's almost, and now that I'm on the publisher side of it and saying no to certain manuscripts, it a lot of the times has nothing to do with people's talent. It's what's right for us. 
and every place has their specific wants and needs. But so many authors said they had had books rejected or Mitch Album came on and was like, I was rejected 50 times or something. And they just didn't give up. And another commonality is most novelists have at least two novels in a drawer. Like it seems to me that the third novel that you write is really the one you should take out and try to sell. So I've learned that. I've learned how important having people in the author community is and can be the support of that, that everyone is similarly frustrated with how hard it is to discover new books. But there was this statistic, I posted it recently about how less than 1% of all books sell more than 5,000 copies. So it's almost like you have to share, you have to shift the paradigm. Yes, you want to have a book come out, but you're probably not going to sell that many books. And that's really fine. You're probably not going to appeal to every single publisher. And that's also just that's fine. So in that way, it's helped me as a writer as well, learn and feel a little bit better about projects and how things work. But I also have learned, and I think I've learned that like a vast majority of authors have anxiety disorders. This is my, my other theory. And uh, I feel like is what helps me identify that I've like found my people in this group. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that they all um, work, you know, writing works things out for people. And for the people who write, there's no option. They're going to keep doing it no matter how many times people say they're, they don't, it doesn't matter the external. They're going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it no matter what, because it's just part of who they are and part of their makeup. I love that. So you talked so much about publishing. So what does it take to write and publish your own book? Is there any advice that you might have for our listeners who are aspiring authors? I would say, first of all, write something that you're really passionate about, like the thing that you just can't get out of your mind that you've always wanted to write about or you keep coming back to, there's probably a reason why your brain like keeps going back to it. So just go there and do it. And don't be afraid that like, that's not the successful topic. That's not what's hot right now. Like, do not worry about it. And publishing is so slow that by the time your book comes out, who knows what's going to be hot. So it doesn't matter. I would say, so I would say, don't try to write for trends. If you're not into reading thrillers, you probably shouldn't write a thriller. You know, like you should write something that you personally would want to read, not something that you think some other random person might be interested in and it would be popular and make you lots of money. That's the joke, though. Lots of money doesn't exactly exist in publishing unless you're Mitch Abloom. Yeah. Right. It's like winning the lottery, you know, yeah. but I would say it's important to make sure that you are actually talented. And uh, <laughs> no, I mean it because that is a good thing to assess. You, sure is. you need to know that. So how does one find that out? You should definitely take a class, like take a class with writing workshops involved or take a class online. Or I remember I took so many classes like at UCLA and Bennington. And then I did Media Bistro and like the new school. And I was always taking classes and you just need to like really ask the teacher or the students, like, is there anything here? I think so many people who end up becoming authors had someone when they were young, tell them they were a good writer. Someone said it, someone identified that talent. It doesn't mean that has to have happened, but you do need someone at some point to tell you you're a, you're a good writer and not be afraid to share your writing because that's also part of publishing. So if you're like, I'm only going to share it when it's perfect and it's done, like you're probably better off sharing it early and seeing if you can incorporate feedback because once you are in a publishing contract, you're going to have to make changes probably. So getting used to editing is something that will serve you very well down the line. Yeah. And maybe just don't get too attached to your title. Titles often change. Just don't get too attached to anything. Like 
<laughs> do your best and know that it's a working draft. Like even if it's your most final, it's probably not going to be the be. There will probably need to be tweaks, and that doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It just that's the way it is. But in terms of selling, you really need a strong proposal. You cannot have typos in your proposal. You cannot have a really boring first 20 pages and be like, no, 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 don't worry. It gets good later. Like nobody has time for that. So start strong, put your best writing in your proposal, even if it's not the first chapter, put like a middle chapter. If that's like amazing, get comps competitive titles that are recent comps, not from like 50 years ago. I mean, maybe one. And I would say do not put Untamed or Eat, Pray, Love. Those are everybody's comps. So do not put those. Huh. This is brilliant advice. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not good advice. going. I have a lot of uh, things that I've seen. Well, too, Zibby, too. I think that people don't realize it's a business, right? And so like a, a lot of what goes into the, the proposal stage is also a business plan, Here's yep. where I think I'm going to be able to promote it. Here is how I think I'm going to be able to contribute to the selling of the book. Yes. I think if you have, if that's like a real strength, then you definitely should highlight that. Most people, at least that I've seen, that's not their primary strength. But even still, we've had some people who have amazing relationships, but if the writing's not great, forget it. So the writing is really the most important first step, but everything after that. I mean, when I was trying to sell, like this is four or five years ago when I was trying to sell this book of parenting essays, which I never sold. You know, people were like, well, first of all, parenting essays don't sell and certainly not by somebody who nobody knows who they are, right? You need a platform, you need this. And I'm like, oh, but I've been writing freelance since I was 14. And they're like, no, doesn't matter. I'm like, Okay. But in a way, my new last name has allowed me to sort of start a whole new identity. It's like this little secret superpower, right? Like all of a sudden I have a, a pseudonym or something. So is it helpful to have a following? Absolutely. But we've seen amazing, amazing literature from very young people with no followings. And I've bought a book like that because it's so good. So there are no tried and true. And it also has to appeal to that person. I mean, I'm not going to like, there's so much I'm not going to want to publish, but it's not because it's not good. And I'm sure all the publishers feel like that. So that's why I just, you know, because I spent so many years feeling like such a loser because I'd been rejected so many times. And like, I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I know I can write. Why can I not get this book sold? And some of it is timing and some of it is you get better as you practice. So I am sure I'm like much better writer now than I was when I tried to sell my first book when I was 25 or whatever, 28. So keep practicing it and and just don't let it define what you view as success in the writing world. Whether or not you sell that book, it could mean that book is not right. It doesn't mean you are not right. So do people need an agent to sell a book to a publisher or is that not necessary? I do think it helps just because you know that they've already passed a first look. It's similar to the like, are you any good? Because if an agent has taken on the person, it means they, they're they good. And often the agent will even improve the book or improve the proposal before they send it out. I mean, in collaboration with the author. So we've also taken on unagented works, but it's harder. It's harder. It's I have to say too, the benefit of having an agent is like, I can't really negotiate that comfortably for myself. Whereas they're your heavy and yes. they're the ones that are having the uncomfortable conversations of like, we need this. We don't like, you know, you, it's, it's a nice to have. Yeah. Plus I did spend a year with my agent really fine tuning and crafting my proposal to get it to a place where she was like, this is it. Yep. Yeah. So your agent yeah. for sure makes your proposal the best it can be and they know who to send it to. 
I mean, I like begged my agent to send my proposal to all these places. And in retrospect, I'm so mortified. You know, a long time ago, I used to work at this internet company called Ideal Lab. It was like back in the internet and everything. And people would come in all day long to pitch Ideal Lab on products and services. And I was like the person who had to deal with all that. (laughs) They're like, just have a meet with Zimmy. Like, okay, I was 21. But I kept being astounded that people would come in and not have any idea really what we did. I'm like, well, if you don't know what I do, how do you know that what you have to offer is right for me? Totally. So I was like, you don't even... Anyway, I couldn't believe it. That's really and important no matter what industry you're in, by the way. Say, that is important across in all the walks board. of life. Yeah, it's very smart. But you're right, obviously, Zippy, <laughs> is that like, you know, the, the agent is going to know the nuances of maybe what that publisher is looking for this month or yes. this quarter or for 2023. Maybe they already have their roster filled with this type of a book and they really have a space for this type of a book. And you're not going to necessarily know that just as an author. And so that's something I've learned because I'm with an agent now who's we're in the process of fine-tuning my proposal and they've been out there working it to the public, but also workshopping it with me Mm -hmm. to make sure that as they're getting feedback from the publishers, that we're producing exactly what they're looking for. And it's going to give me a better chance of getting the book sold in the end. And I know that, and I really appreciate their insight. But speaking of publishers, can I just ask you, because obviously New York Magazine dubbed you NYC's most important bookfluencer, which is like, by the way, that's really, I'm the biggest book nerd. So that's very impressive to me. Clearly, you know what you're talking about, but I want to know what prompted you to recently launch your own publishing house, Zibby Books, because you're presumably competing with the big dogs like Penguin Random House. So talk about like a David and Goliath type of thing and talk about believing in yourself and coming up from, you know, having this feeling of being rejected and feeling like maybe a failure, as you said earlier in your 20s, to like, you're just taking them on head on. So what gave you the confidence and what made you decide to do that? Because it's a really interesting thing to open more of a boutique agency. I know it sounds like such a bad idea when I hear you talk about it. I'm like, why? No. Why did I do this? I don't I know. I don't because know. You I had wish- to, just like you have to write. You had to. Yeah. I mean, not to sound, but it's true. I so I talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of authors, and they were all saying the same things. They were all complaining about this, not complaining, and I mean, just lamenting some of the things about the publishers over and over again. And from observing all of this and observing so many different aspects of the industry could see some areas that, especially then as I started having books come out, that needed real improvement. So my first anthology came out. And the main issue with that is like, even though I worked with a small publisher called Skyhorse, like it wasn't in most bookstores. And if it was, it was on a high shelf, one copy, or they would have bought two copies, but they sold and they weren't going to reorder. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Like, is that a good thing? What? Anyway, so I started seeing all these things like, you know, why can't we have a bookstore with like a sushi conveyor belt? Do you know what I mean? Like, why are some books shelved so badly? Why? So anyway, my mind has just started thinking more and more about all the things. And as different publishers consolidated, there's less room actually for authors to get their books out, get their books out in a timely manner, and certainly to feel important. And I feel like back in the day, the author was really a big deal, right? They would come in and it was all about the author. And now it's become, which I understand too, on on the number side or whatever, like it's, you know, a print, not a printer, but to get all those books out, you have to just like go, 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 go. But those books are people. Those books have people behind them. And I've been one of those people. So I wanted to start like, well, first, I just kept hoping somebody would start something to address this or fix some of these problems. Why does it take three years to get a book out? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? So then I kept joining the authors and being like, why does this happen? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, who's going to change this? And then one day I was like, wait, maybe I'm the one who has to change this. 
And then I was like, no, 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 I can't do this. Like, what am I talking about? So I kind of gently started exploring it. And I actually thought about it first as an imprint under another house. And I got far along into like legal contract stage and had met with a lot of people, but I really didn't know anything about what I was doing. And I was really scared. And I thought under another publisher, it still wouldn't be able to redo it, right? This is like renovating a house that's falling down. Like I wanted to build, I wanted a new build, right? But, uh, you know, I needed a great architect. So I wasn't ready. So I pulled back at the last minute and then I waited a whole nother year, like another year entirely. And it just would not leave me alone. This idea would just not leave me alone. And I kept thinking of more ways that maybe it would work. What if we did this? What What if is like my favorite expression? What if we do this? What? My poor husband. Every time we travel, I'm like, but wait, what if we take this flight? What if we do that? <laughs> so, um, so then finally I was like, I'm going to do it. And I had met someone, Lee Newman, who I ended up starting it with, who had started her own publishing firm before. And we quickly teamed up with the publisher from Viking and Anchor for 25 years. So I had some people who knew what they were doing and we teamed up with a distributor and now I have a whole team. And it's still, I still don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm learning a lot all the time. And it's intellectually been incredibly interesting to examine this industry and figure out if I can make an impact and how and what's what are things that might change and what might not. And anyway, we'll see what happens. How many authors have you signed already and how many books have you, because Bookends is not with your own imprint. No, that was before I started the imprint. Okay. Uh, Bookends is coming out from Little A, which is an Amazon-owned publishing company. Got it. We have acquired 18 books already. Some were proposals. A few were people I was like, you should write a book. And then we brainstorm and I tell them what I want them to do or we kind of figure it out. Lena Dunham, right? Wasn't Lena Dunham one of them? No, she's not going to write a book for us. Oh, darn it. Okay. I don't know why I thought I read that. No. She did blurb my earlier anthology and she was on the podcast and she has collaborated with my husband on a project for his film business, but I don't think I can talk about that yet. So yeah, I tried it. I'm doing it. 18 books. They start coming out in January of 2023, which is frighteningly soon. And we're dealing with things like covers and interior design and final edits and copy edits. And then as soon as one's done, there's like another one. I'm like, oh my God, what? like 12 a year sounded manageable, but it might not be. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see if I can... Uh... Well, you you are absolutely known for your amazing book picks. So I think those 18 titles are probably pretty magic. You share your book picks on Good Morning American, on your podcast, in Woman's Day Magazine. So what should we be putting in our beach bags this summer? Like, what are your recommendations? Well, definitely my book, Bookends, Memoir of Love, Loss, and Literature. And can you give us like the broad strokes? Like, I know your whole life story, but can you give us like a quick... Can you blurb your book for us so our listeners can pick it up? Yes. So it's a deeply personal journey of one woman's path to finding her voice again after a series of losses and new loves. And it's really about how I picked myself back up again and redid my life when I thought that things were set forever and that this is just the way it had to be. And it turns out it wasn't. So there were a lot of really sad moments. I lost my best friend on 9-11 and I was 25 and that changed my life and my relationship to life and death, honestly. So I live my life very much as if today could be my last and uh, all the subsequent losses, which I write about in the book, further cement that fact. Like I just, I was just saying, I went to a funeral today and I'm just like, okay, I got it. You know, just another reminder. Like I know, I know, I know. You know what I mean? Like it's, I get it. 
I hear you, universe. But I also um, weave in all the books that have been so central to my life. As I said at the beginning, you know, first and foremost, I'm a book lover, and books for me have been truly life saving. I read them when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I need a break. They're like my mental outlet. They're my meditation and yoga and whatever else, self-care. That's what I do. I read. So I remember a lot of the books I've read at different times. And so I linked what I was reading with the events that were happening in my life. And I have like a really long reading list at the back and, and all that. But I'm hoping it's inspirational. I'm hoping it's if I can do it, you can do it kind of story. And it's really just my story. It's like as if we were having coffee or I don't know. Literally today, I was just like, I cannot believe I put this part in the book. You know, (laughs) it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just told everyone in the world something that I have only told like two or three of my best friends. Why? And in fact, a lot of my good friends are like, I've known you for 20 years or 30 years and I didn't know all this stuff about you. And I'm like, I know I don't talk about it. so. So that's what it is. And so obviously that's top of my list. Are there a couple more? Yes, there are tons of books. I really enjoyed Meant to Be by Emily Giffen for a fun beach read. If you're into a romance and sort of jet setting kind of lifestyle and I don't know, that was very escapist in a in a nice, like as if I were a thin blonde woman living in Tribeca kind of way. <laughs> So that was really good. Um, I finished recently on Gin Lane by Brooklyn Foster. Maybe I have a thing for these like tough ones. But this takes place in Southampton in the 1950s and 60s. And it's a couple and the husband buys his wife a hotel called the Everly and the hotel burns down. But you find out all the stuff about them. And it's like a it's like a movie of the brain. Like you just can feel it, smell it, see it, think it. It like transports you totally. So I just did that one. I really enjoyed James Patterson's new memoir. I don't know if anyone's read that. I didn't know really anything about him. And I'm not a big James Patterson reader, even though I respect him very much. But his stories are great. They're all really short, one or two pages. And you learn a lot about him from that. Let's see. Emma Straub, This Time Tomorrow. I enjoyed that a lot. Like a time traveling. This is this is more in the Brooklyn, uh, Upper West Side camp of New Yorkers. I do live in Manhattan, so maybe this is why I'm <laughs> sort of into this. My colleague Lee Newman wrote a book of short stories called Nobody Gets Out Alive, which are very literary and beautiful if you want like gorgeous sentences and if you want to freeze in Alaska, because that is where a lot of it is based. What's the hot book club pick? Like, is there the book club pick of the summer? Is there the book club pick of the summer? My mom asked me to ask you, Zibby. I think a lot of people are going to be reading Annabelle Moynihan's Nora Goes Off Script. It was the Indie Next pick, which means all the independent bookstores voted it their number one book. And it's being talked about everywhere. I just think it's going to be really big this summer. That's a prediction. I'm writing these all down, by the way, as you're saying them, because I committed to myself to read one actual book in an actual book, not on a Kindle, not in an audio book by my birthday, which is the 4th of July. And I came downstairs, like before I even knew I was interviewing you, Zibby, I made the announcement to my husband and kids who were like three and six and couldn't care less. I was like, I have an announcement. Mom's going to read a book. I cannot believe how long it's been since I read an actual book in my hands. And my whole family's like, go off. All right. (laughs) Good for you. But it's important, right? Like it is important to read a book cover to cover. It is such a lost 
art and something that there has to be just a psychological, something like a a benchmark of pride also that you get from finishing a book that you don't even get necessarily, I think, with like an audio book, right? Like there's something to having that book in your hands. Yeah. Sometimes I literally like finish a book and I sit here. Like that's what I do when I, you know, and I like hold it like a baby or something, you know, like, <laughs> I wish like, our listeners could see your bookshelf though. It is like one of so those pretty. Instagram, Pinterest worthy, color coordinated bookshelves. Like it's epic. And we should put the book, we'll put your book picks in the show notes and on our Instagram caption because I feel like everybody's probably taking notes and they may be running or walking or not in front of a notepad right now listening to us. I know I forgot a lot too, but there are going to be a lot of great books. I mean, there's so many. They're just... There's something for everyone. Yeah, feel free to shoot over if any more of your faves pop into your head. We're happy to include them because I'm sure that our listeners are going to be delighted with all these great picks of yours because summer's coming up and tis the season. So we always end our show with two, well, actually one quick thing, and then I'll kind of get some of your info and deets at the very end. But Heidi, do you want to take it away for our last well, segment? I prefer that Megan announces it. It's called Karma so Cynthia, I forced Megan to say it every episode because she's just so exuberant and says it so well. But I'm the resident yogi, so I will explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our inspiring guests, that would be you, what is one small actionable item that our listeners could practice for a short period of time that would yield a large result? Small action, big result. Read a personal essay. They can go on, we have a publication, Moms Don't Have Time to Write, which we're transitioning over to just momsdonthavetimeto.com. Personal essays are jolts of recognition in the midst of a busy day. Just a thousand words, 800 words, five minutes, total reset, reset of mood, mind, everything. So I think that is the most powerful thing you can do with a short amount of time. Love it. What a delightful piece of advice. All right, Zibby. Well, we love this. We love you. We want to just help our listeners find you and be able to find what you're doing now, what you're doing next. So first of all, where can they find you on the gram? At Zibby Owens, Z-I-B-B-Y-O-W-E-N-S. Great. And then what other platforms would you like to lead them to? Probably your, I would imagine your website, right? Would be the most. Yes. Uh, Zibbyowens.com. I have a weekly newsletter I'd love you to sign up for. There are links there to everything else I'm doing and all our other podcasts that we have. I have a whole podcast network now and I'm helping other people start up podcasts and yeah, go there and have fun. So I have to say I'm a newsletter subscriber and I, what I love about you is it's almost like there's always this so much excitement of like, I can't believe this is happening, but I got to tell you about it. Like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Like this transformation you've gone since changing your name and changing your life is so magical to watch. It, it really is. It's, you know, I was home with my kids for 11 years and I just didn't think I'd ever be able to have like a career. I can barely even say it out loud. You know, like I thought I missed the boat and I got off the track and that's okay because I love my kids and I'm glad I did it, which is all true. And so all of this is like gravy. I cannot, I really, now I feel foolish that I like make it so, now it sounds silly. Like how could I keep not believing it in my newsletter? But it's true. Like as everything happens, I'm just like blown away. So I'm cheering you on. All of you. We're all cheering you on. And when you do what you love, they say you'll never work a day in your life. And it sounds like that's where you're at. So we're proud of you. We're happy for you. And we will continue to follow your journey. And thank you for bringing all of your delicious little pearls of wisdom and insider information to our listeners today. 
And thank you listeners for tuning in at home. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time.